righty, righty. Well, our series is called The Words of the Preacher. Yeah, we are highlighting some passages from the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, I believe God has some incredible truths for us to revisit here. Uh, in week one, we said that all is vanity. In week two, we saw that God makes all things beautiful in his time. And last Sunday, we said that two is better than one. Now today, we're headed to Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. And so head toward Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, where this morning we're going to talk about dead flies. Dead flies. And uh, here in southern Idaho, fly season is upon us. Uh, when I was growing up, my, my Dutch grandparents had a dairy farm just east of Nampa. And I have never seen more flies than there were in the dairy barn in the summer months. They were thick. Uh, before we read the text today, I want you to imagine for a second uh, a beautiful bowl of homemade ice cream. Fresh out of that cold metal canister. And you have drizzled just the right amount of Hershey's syrup on the top, along with a handful of baby M&Ms and uh, some raspberries fresh off of the, the plant and about 10 Reese's peanut butter cup chunks on top. And you set it down on the picnic table. You run inside to get a spoon. And here's the dilemma. When you come back, there's a fly that has died and gone to heaven inside your ice cream bowl while you're away. Okay, now here, here's the question for you. How many dead flies in the ice cream would stop you from eating it? Okay, how many? How many of you say one would stop me from eating it? Okay, how many? Two? Two? Three? All right, three, three, okay. More than three. Anybody more than three? All right, now this is very interesting because we, <laughs> we went like from zero to big, like some of you said, if there is one, I'm out. And then two, yeah. What it basically means, if you're willing to eat it with one, you're willing to eat it, right? Um, until we got up to a really big number. So uh, let's start this morning by reading Ecclesiastes 9. And I want to go to verse number 17 as we begin. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send for the stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. And so let's look at this passage now this morning. And as we kind of think about this, how many dead flies uh, does it take to ruin the whole bowl of ice cream or the whole bottle of perfume? Uh, how many dead flies can your life endure before it begins to stink? That's what we're going to investigate this morning. 
Uh, as Dr. Bob Jones Sr. once said, it takes a lifetime to build a testimony and only a moment to lose it. And I believe that Scripture will bring out the truth to us this morning. Uh, and so let's go straight into the message now. The notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And they're also on the YouVersion app. And I want to back up with you to chapter 7 for a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And let's look there at the first verse. Ecclesiastes 7, 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death and the day of one's birth. And so let's talk first about the precious ointment. Okay, here in Ecclesiastes 7.1, Solomon wrote about this same topic uh, in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And uh, so the preacher has already introduced to us the supreme value of a good name. Uh, a reputation for wisdom and honor is not easily gained. But it is definitely worth pursuing. When you think of a good reputation, what Solomon calls a good name, someone you can count on, someone who's wise and honorable, uh, there are some places that may not be the first ones that come to mind. And I was thinking about this. You probably don't go to the church nursery looking uh, for a person of good reputation unless you're looking for Marlene Van Sickle, right? That dear faithful saint, she's been serving those kids for about 25 years every Sunday. Uh, but you don't look to the infants for a good reputation. Now, why is that? Because they don't even know who they are yet, right? Much less you know who they are. Uh, I was so glad to hear that Fisher got to come home uh, from the hospital. And I know that Bryce and Tressa have been praying all week. For those of you who don't know, uh, Tressa was here last Sunday morning in church looking very pregnant, and uh, they left because she wasn't feeling well, and on the way, baby started to be born, and uh, he had some complications because his birth was so fast, he was in the NICU all week, and then was it yesterday, Bryce, that he, or Friday, uh, that he got to come home, and so now he's been home, and be praying for them uh, and for their family, so Glad to uh, hear that God is working in their situation. But you know, we don't go to the infants to find a good reputation. You probably don't even go to the two-year-old class for, for that, right? The only time you hear about that reputation in that class is when you're talking about the kid who is infamous for biting somebody, right? And it's not a good reputation. It is a bad reputation. Uh, but there comes a point where you begin to build a name for yourself, and it may be different for every person. You slowly build a reputation, whether it's good or bad. And Paul told Timothy, let no man despise your youth. He said, be an example of believers. And your reputation should be a reflection of Jesus. Uh, here Solomon tells us that a good name is better to pursue than riches, great riches. Wisdom is better than gold and silver. A good name is better than precious ointment. And yet, a good name can be damaged by one dead fly. 
And sure you, I'm sure you know people who have always had a sketchy reputation, right? You pull out your high school yearbook and you're looking through and you see these people and their reputation then is the same as it is now, okay? It's always been sketchy. Uh, no one but their mama has ever really considered them to be honorable. And by the way, mama thinks he's the best singer in the world too, right? Thank God for mamas, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with people uh, who have uh, a good reputation, an honorable reputation for many years, for decades even. And then a fly goes into the ointment and dies. And so let's talk about this section on the dead flies. The dead flies. If we back up into chapter 9, did you catch the end of chapter 9? The last phrase in chapter 9, verse number 18, but one sinner destroys much good. One sinner destroys much good. One sinner can damage a family, a church, a city, even a nation. And, and one sin in your life can make a carefully cultivated reputation start to sink. Uh, a little folly in the life of him that has a reputation for wisdom and honor. And if it's your life, you need to know up front that your heart will deceive you. Your heart will tell you uh, one look never hurt anybody. One taste never hurt anybody. One time won't make any difference. Uh, after all, nobody becomes an alcoholic with one drink. No one becomes an addict with one pill. Uh, a little pleasure in my life won't hurt anybody else. Do you know God calls your heart deceitful and desperately wicked? Your heart will trick you again and again. And when you're looking at somebody else's life, you can often see the signs, right? You can see the slide. But it's much harder to see it in yourself. You can see the dead flies of other people's life out the window, but you can't see the dead flies of your life in the mirror. And Scripture gives us word pictures and human examples that remind us how quickly a good name may be lost. Uh, small objects, like the little flies here in Ecclesiastes, uh, or if you keep reading it in the next book in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes. Uh, in the first Corinthians, Paul talks about a little leaven, leavening the whole lump. How much folly does it take to ruin a reputation? If you experiment enough, you'll find out. Uh, I guarantee you that it'll be a whole lot less than you thought it would be. There are people like Achan in the book of Joshua uh, who blew off God's clear instructions about how to deal with stuff when the walls of Jericho fell. And as soon after the walls of Jericho fell, and there's this great victory in Israel, uh, 36 Jewish soldiers would be killed because of Achan's sin. 36 husbands didn't come back to their tents. 36 fathers didn't come back to their kids. And when Achan was called on the, car the carpet before Moses and all the people, he confessed to the dead fly that ruined his life. It's in Joshua 7. Listen to what he said. He said, when I saw 
among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment at 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. So he coveted, he took, and he hid. That's very similar to David. Uh, one night, David walked on the rooftop. Uh, all the soldiers were gone into a battle campaign. David stayed at home in Jerusalem. He walked on the rooftop late at night. He saw this woman bathing herself. He looked again. He coveted. He took. And then he had her husband killed to hide his sin. Uh, Solomon had been down the dead fly road in his own life. As wife after wife pulled his heart further from the perfect heart with God. And, and we say we, we, to ourselves, we say it's only a couple flies. It's no big deal. It's just a little bit. I can cover it up. No one will ever know. I can still manage a good reputation on the public stage of my life. I'll just hide this stuff backstage, right? Have you ever done this when people are coming over and you didn't quite clean up the way you wanted and so you just took all the junk and threw it in the closet, right? Now, some of you are old enough to remember Fibber McGee. How many remember Fibber McGee? Okay, so Fibber McGee was a guy on old radio. This is like 1920s and 30s. I was not there. Uh, but I used to listen to old-time radio when I was a kid. And every time Fibber McGee opened his closet, there would be this loud crash as things began to tumble down because Fibber McGee had stacked all the junk in his life in that closet. And, it, and once the doors opened, out it came. And you know, that's how our lives are. Uh, the stuff that is hidden backstage always makes its way to the front stage over time. Behind every tragedy in life, there lies a process of wicked thinking. A few dead flies that had to be covered up. And when you hear about another ruined reputation, another damaged life, you can count on the fact that the fall wasn't sudden. It was a process. It was a long process of coveting, taking, and hiding. You know how many people have ever been successful at covering up an ongoing sinful lifestyle? Zero. None. Not a single person has ever continually opposed God's will and gotten away with it. At the end of Proverbs, Solomon admitted this. This is in Proverbs 28. It's so profound. He said, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And so keep that ointment covered in God's mercy. Now, what's that mean? Uh, when you notice a fly in the ointment, make it right with your heavenly Father immediately. Don't wait. Don't try to cover it up. Don't act like you've never had a dead fly in your life, right? Don't assume that you can be successful at hiding something when no one ever has. Keep short accounts with God and fall on his mercy. Keep short accounts with authority. Uh, check out the final verse of Ecclesiastes 10. 
This is, this is incredible. This is at the end of this thought process now. Verse 20. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Uh, a, I, like, I like that. A bird of the air shall carry the voice. Right? Have you ever heard somebody say, a little birdie told me. Have you ever heard that? It's where it comes from, right? Uh, what you say, it always comes out. Like, I didn't, I didn't think I told anybody about that. Did you say it? Yeah, I said it. It came out, right? He said, but I only told him or I only told her. Yeah, and she only told him and her. And then she only told her and her and her, Right? Not getting too far on the pronoun thing, but uh, it just spreads. It just goes everywhere. And, and so keep short accounts with authority. Uh, eventually, for all of us, the backstage comes to the front stage. You say, Pastor, what's the answer? The answer is God's mercy. We all need it. We can't live without it. But also some advice. Tear down the curtains between the front stage and the backstage. Just tear them down. Be the same person everywhere with everyone. Don't try to hide the dead flies. Okay, during fly season, do you know that flies get into the houses of millionaires just like they get into trailer parks? Flies get into high-end salons and restaurants just like they get into your kitchen. Right? And uh, I get a kick out of people who get alarmed by flies. Right? They're sitting in a coffee shop or a restaurant. There's a fly in here. Yeah, duh, it's life. There's flies everywhere. Right? You're not going to get rid of flies. They're everywhere. What do you do with them? Hand them over to God. Love his mercy for yourself. Love his mercy for others. Now, I want to move into verse number 2 in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So we got dead flies, we talked about reputation, and now look at this really unique verse, verse number two. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Let's talk about right hand, left hand. <clears throat> now a wise man uses the right information to guide his life. But a fool uses his own devices, and they never work. Uh, choosing to be guided by your intellect and your understanding and the desire of your heart puts you on a path that leads to certain death. Twice in Proverbs, Solomon, under the Spirit's inspiration, makes this statement. He said this, There is a way which seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it always leads to death. A fool's heart always takes him off course. His urges always deceive him. And it's happened to every single one of us. Not only do we not learn from the mistakes of others, uh, a lot of times we don't even learn from our own mistakes, right? We trip over the same thing again and again. And, and that's the way of the fool. But there's another option. 
And I love this option, and it's a good option. This is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, if you're looking for some verses to memorize this summer, this is a good place to start. If you want scripture that will guide your path, look no further. And you may want to throw in verse 7 too. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know what happens to the fool? The fool is wise in his own eyes. He is. Nobody can teach him anything. Nobody can give him any advice. He's got it all figured out. And yet if you track his life, he's always headed left. That's what it says. He's always headed left. He's always following his foolish heart. Right? And this principle, be not wise in thine own eyes, will change your personal life. But it will also protect your family from the ever-worsening influences of the culture. Uh, so many of the things this society tells us are right are still called sin by God. And uh, I, I don't care how many members of the House of Representatives, Democrat or Republican, tell us that marriage has some new definition. God's definition hasn't changed, right? Marriage is still, according to God, between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And I don't care if Mike Simpson, the Idaho representative, voted for the bill. He's wrong. God's right. Marriage is what God says it is. And every definition that God has placed in his word is his truth, and you don't get to mess with it. It doesn't matter who you are. Every nation that has thrown their abominations in God's face has done so at their own peril. And America will not be the exception to God's principles. Uh, the new morality invented by the tolerance crowd is wise in its own eyes. It's the way that seems good to the people on the broad way. But the end thereof is the way of death. And uh, folks, listen, if you think that you can dabble in the, philosoph the philosophies of this world and remain loyal to the Lord, please remember that it's never been done before. Jesus said it so plainly, no man can serve two masters. You're either going to lean into his wisdom or you're going to lean into your own understanding. And those mindsets are two completely different paths. Uh, one is the path of the wise. The other is the path of the fool. And uh, the, the heart of the wise man leads the right way. The heart of the fool always leads the wrong way. It's interesting that God, uh, he got his directions all figured out here for us in his word, right? <laughs> he said, uh, the, the wise man goes right, the fool goes left. Now you just think about all the times we use those words, right and left, right and left, right? And when you're a kid, you have to learn which is right and which is left. How many of you still, admit, go ahead and admit this, you're an adult, you still get confused sometimes between your right and left. It happens, doesn't it, right? And uh, somebody taught me this a couple of years ago. It, it, it go like this, right? <clears throat> it's an L. And it really helped me because L means left. 
right? And I've tried to teach this uh, to my own, some of my own kids who struggle with this. Left is this way. Go this way. Yeah, right is the other way. Yeah, so you can kind of use that in your own life. But God uses simple, <coughs> uh-oh, I, I brought a cough drop today. This is very good. I remember this. If I can open it. Sorry I have to do this right in front of you. All right. There we go. Problem solved. Uh, but God uses right and left <coughs> so often to describe direction. And yet, uh, we use it in our own language uh, for so many different things. Now, how many of you are left-handed? Anybody in here left-handed? Okay. Anybody ever, when you were growing up, did anybody ever razz you about being left-handed? Like it wasn't the right thing to do? Yeah. Uh, my dad is left-handed. He has the worst handwriting of any human I've ever seen. Uh, he writes somehow like this. And I think some of us kids were probably going to be left-handed. But my mom looked at his handwriting and she said, there ain't no way. And any time we picked up anything with our left hand, she hit our hand. Right? You pick up a spoon, boom, change hands. You pick up a fork, boom, change hands. And I, I got to thinking that in a way, we should do this with our lifestyle. Right? Anytime we start to act like a fool, we need somebody to wrap us on the hand. My third grade teacher was Mrs. Mills. And back when I was in third grade, she still carried this wooden ruler. And if she didn't like what you did, you put your knuckles out, she bopped them. Right? Now some of you kids, just, it just blew your mind. And you're going to talk about this on the way home from church. Mom, they used to hit kids back in school. Oh, it's worse than that, kids. It's much worse than that. <laughs> I'm going to India next week. I love to go to the schools in India. They don't just have a ruler. They got a big, long stick, and it's about this thick. And if you don't like what the kid did in class, you just walk over and knock them silly. Right? That's how they do it in India. You say, Pastor, how alarming. I'm sure psychological bells just went off everywhere in the room. That's still how they do it. I I didn't decide that they did it that way. That's how they do it, right? And some of you are thinking, maybe we should bring it back. It wouldn't be such a bad idea, right? We wouldn't have to create safe rooms for 21-year-olds if we used rulers when they're in third grade. <laughs> but there's right and there's wrong, and there's right and there's left. And we just need somebody to help us discern the two. Now, wouldn't it be neat if God placed inside of believers somebody who would tell them right and wrong? Wouldn't it be neat if God placed in believers someone to guide them to all truth, like the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, who breathes through you, if you allow him to work in your life? And if you'll allow God and his Holy Spirit to lead you, you're going to go, right. You're going to go in the way that God wants you to go. But if you go according to your own understanding, you're always headed left. Now let's go to this last verse, verse number three. This is such a telling verse. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, 
his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Remember when I was about 15, I had an opinion about everything in life, right? And my opinion obviously, certainly was the right one because I was the one making it. And my mom used to say this to me, and she said it to me many, many times, and she was always trying to get me whipped back into shape and probably just trying to get me to shut up in general. But she said this to me. She would say, it's better to be a fool and no one know it than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just giving my opinions. And he's just, yeah, he still doesn't get it. And then one day, I had some 15-year-olds at my house, and I got it. Right? <laughs> um, especially my second one. My first one, he wasn't that mouthy. He kept in pretty good form. But the second one, when he got to be 15, he knew so much more than us. And he still actually quite, knows quite a bit more than us. He hasn't come down from the, the high lofty position yet. Uh, some of you are looking around like, no, I don't know somebody looked at Colby back there. Uh, I don't know if, you know, he's kind of that same way or Brock or any of those guys. But um, <laughs> better to be a fool and no one know it than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You're like, you know what? You know why there are people who everybody thinks you're just really smart and they're wise? Because they never talk. Right? <laughs> the more we talk, the more prone we are for everybody to say, man, he's an idiot. And so maybe you should be quiet for a while. Now, verse 3, that's kind of the gist of it. But let's talk uh, about this last topic for the day, a walking, talking fool. A fool can go to a great deal of trouble to camouflage who he really is. Uh, he can put up a front stage like they do in the movies. Uh, here's the thing. No matter the location, the crowd, or the situation, a fool can never escape his folly. Although he attempts to hide it, it always loudly presents itself. And as the verse uh, lays out for us, he says to everyone that he is a fool. Your words, your actions, your lifestyle, they all say something to the people around you. And hopefully you're a light to the world reflecting the light of Jesus. That's what he's called his children to be. But you know, I've learned that the best of men are still men at their best, right? The people who you think are the best people in the entire world, you know what they are? They're people. They all have dead flies. We all do. We all have dead flies drop into our lives from time to time. And we wish we didn't, but we do. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. Now, even the Apostle Paul dealt with this. In Romans 7, he lays this out. He said, the things that I would do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And then he said, oh, what a wretched man I am. 
And until this old rotten flesh is transformed into a glorified body, we're going to keep dealing with dead flies in the ointment. And so how did Paul deal with the potential for dead flies in his life? In his weakness, he trusted in God's strength. I love what he told the church at Galatia in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. This is the same mindset that we saw early in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now let's put this all together in today's faith challenge. And I hope that you'll get this, because the application of what we're learning today is so important to our lives. Right? The principle, that's that's big, that's huge, but the application is even more important. And, and so let's talk about this on the faith challenge. A Christian cannot afford to go even one day living in his own strength. You can't afford to do it, not for one day. I need Jesus to guide my life every day, because if I guide it, there are going to be dead flies. If I guide it, my walk and talk will tell everyone, there goes a fool, right? The minute that it is me instead of Christ living in me, a fool shows up. And, and so it's not I but Christ on Sunday. Not I but Christ on Monday. Not I but Christ every single day. Bring your life under the authority of Jesus Christ. Reset your relationship with God. Because the first day that you go at it in your own strength is the beginning of your slide away from God. And uh, there are a lot of people who could tell you this. I'm sure there are people in this room who could tell you this from experience. You can lose your reputation faster than you would ever imagine. It can be gone faster than you can ever imagine. Now, there might be somebody here who says, look, I live every day in charge of myself. I don't ever invite God to take charge, and I've done pretty well for myself. Now, look, friend, I, I'm not being mean, but I encourage you to read the passage again because you are currently living it. And it's only a matter of time before your life will shout loudly that you are a fool. I read Romans 8, 8 says this. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. There's no way that a Christian who is living in the flesh can ever please God. We need the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to submit to God's will for our life. And so we got this idea here from Ecclesiastes 10, dead flies. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So does a little folly. Him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now, how many of you want to be taken down 
by a dead fly. Right? Can you imagine that? A big old person, an adult person, taken out by a dead fly. It doesn't even make any sense. And yet it happens all the time. People let in just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they don't reset their relationship with God. And they don't restore their walk with God the next day. And they get farther off the path. And they don't build guardrails. And all of a sudden, their life is over the cliff, down at the bottom of the cliff in a ditch. Their testimony is ruined. And they have no idea how to get back. There's an old song that uh, the cathedrals used to sing. And I love the message of it. They said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you much more than you want to pay. But in your own logic, you never know that up front. In your own logic, you're like, it's not a big deal. It's just a couple dead flies. I got this. And then all of a sudden, your life is down at the bottom of the cliff in ruins. And I've had so many friends in ministry over the last 30 years or so whose lives have crashed out. They've messed up their testimony. They've messed up their marriage. They've messed up their family. They've hurt people. You know, we all have the potential to do that if we don't take care of the dead flies. And you say, Pastor, how does it happen again? Fall on God's mercy. Every time you see one of these things show up in your life, bring it before God immediately. Don't wait. Don't say, I'm going to take care of it tomorrow. Do it right now. Don't be taken down by the dead flies. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you that we could come and get in your word once again this morning in Ecclesiastes. And we thank you for this powerful truth that you've laid upon our hearts. And I pray right now, as we close this service, that every person would be willing to say, Spirit of God, open my eyes to the issues in my life. Open my eyes to the cracks in my character that will take me down if they're not fixed. Open my eyes to those things that are wounding my testimony with my coworkers and friends. And help me to be a reflection of Jesus through this week. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask for it once again in Jesus' name. Amen. Sure do love you, everybody. God bless you. Don't forget there's books. In the coffee shop, take as many as you want.